Welcome to Japan on Fire, episode 28 on Your Name. And we're still going to conclude the series on Hideo Gosha. But while you wait, we thought we'd do a little unscheduled stop into anime and the 2016 blockbuster Your Name from director Makoto Shinkai. It's my first exposure to the film and its directors, uh, director. And here to uh, help along because uh, this is a show uh, where we are corporate uh, corporate prostitutes a little bit uh, because we were sent a screener of your name and uh, to help me not feel alone here in the podcast on fire network recording booth and uh, i pulled in east screen west screens paul fox who knows a thing or two about anime as well and maybe a lot about recent anime so welcome buddy to japan on fire for the first time hello thank you for having me it's uh, great to speak to you across space and time Mm-hmm. Exactly. We, uh, we, we are, I think we're in same the same timeline and not any parallel timeline where I'm three years ahead of you or anything like that. Well, let's hope not. Exactly. That would be a mind-blowing sort of like, did I smoke too much weed kind of realization. <laughs> yeah. We don't, want, we, we don't want to be in a bad uh, Dennis Quaid movie, right? Exactly. Uh, so uh, cool, my friend. Uh, we're gonna get into it. Uh, this is uh, we, we have some minor background on the uh, director because I wanted to create a little bit of context for myself and you listeners in terms of who Makoto Shinkai is. Certainly not a small-time director that only had his breakthrough last year. But uh, there's a um, a couple of key works that are worth discussing, and I'm gonna check in with Paul if he's uh, familiar or not with uh, Shinkai, the director. But first of all, this is Japan on Fire on the Podcast on Fire Network, and you'll find this show on Japanese cinema, and we do new and old, obviously. And uh, But mostly on Japan on Fire, we do a dedicated series to directors. We've done series on director Sabu. We are currently still planning the last episode on director Hideo Gosha. And uh, so if you haven't listened to those episodes um, leading up to that uh, coming last, please um, feel free to do so. And But on the network, we have shows on Hong Kong cinema, new and old Korean cinema. We talk about sleazy cinema. We have bonus episodes. We have a ninja run of episodes that is now concluded. So you can listen to the entirety of uh, our run on that and uh, what have you. So welcome in. Have um, have a good look and uh, pick something that you like and uh, let us know what you what you think of us. And you can do that on email, for instance, podcastonfire at googlemail.com. But uh, join us over on Facebook as well and social media and let us know what you think and, and create some discussion points for us uh, over on Facebook, uh, either on our page, uh, which you'll reach by clicking the Facebook logo at the top of our website. Once you're on Facebook, uh, search out Podcast on Fire Network, which is the discussion group where we'll post uh, show updates, obviously when shows are online, and have uh, different kinds of discussion over there, very much friendly. And uh, click the Twitter button to follow our tweets, uh, the iTunes button to subscribe to us. And if you fancy uh, if this uh, is to your liking, then please leave a star rating and even a written comment. We'd very much appreciate it. And finally, stream us on Stitcher Radio, either on their website or on the applications available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. And I certainly don't write about uh, Japanese movies as such, but I have a review website focusing on Hong Kong and Taiwanese uh, genre movies, mad, mad, sleazy or not, over at SoGoodReviews.com. And I also do basic video reviews over at SleazyKVideo.com. And my tweets are available at SoGoodReviews. And as a minor, 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 minor side note, uh, we we, we talk often that uh, Taiwanese cinema and Hong Kong cinema is not... uh, available it's not being upgraded to blu-ray and what have you but when it happens it's quite glorious i'm currently watching the um the german blu-ray of the jimmy wang yu movie return of the chinese boxer not the chinese boxer from Shaw brothers but return of the chinese boxer and uh, while it still has you know specs and dirt on the print that is as gloriously sharp and wonderfully grainy and natural film looking as uh, anything out there it's a wonderful looking version of Return of the Chinese Boxer and you, you never knew a movie like that could look that great so uh, there's still uh, still hope out there even if, if not in Hong Kong or Taiwan in this case it's a German wonderfully looking uh, print of Return of the Chinese Boxer so that's your little Taiwan minute for you uh, let's throw it over to uh, you Paul if uh, people uh, don't know either through listening to 
podcast on fire uh, uh, or at all. The, you have a little uh, podcast out there called East Screen or West Screen that uh, sometimes deals in Japanese cinema because you cover uh, different Asian regions. So uh, what is it about for uh, new, new, new listeners, uh, if you will? Yes, well, our show East Screen, West Screen is a podcast where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. Occasionally, the uh, you know odd uh, Japanese live action release or sometimes an anime release. What were you got? Were you gonna do your name at any point? I think Kevin mentioned it in passing, but uh, we we were thinking going to think about waiting until you know I got a chance to see it. But then I had the opportunity to talk about you with it, and our show is currently on a semi hiatus status just because of life and things that are happening. So. Fatherhood. Yeah, which is a great thing, by the way. I did. I didn't say it in a dismissive way. Fatherhood, but fatherhood, of course, main respo- main responsibility. That's pretty much the tone you have to take. All fathers will agree. It's yeah, fatherhood. <laughs> but uh, when you do uh, review uh, it, to to make it current uh, or rather relevant, uh, when you do uh, review Japanese movies, uh, what do you tend to um, lean on, or you don't you don't have a choice? You sort of go with what's current and in front of you. Well, when I was in Hong Kong, we kind of just had to go with whatever got released on screens there. And typically, I mean, the bigger budget science fiction films or the bigger high profile films would typically get a Hong Kong release Um, there. They do have an anime following, so they would often get, you know, some of the more high level pop culture stuff. Uh, I think Love Live was really popular. So like the the movies would get simulcast broadcasts in, in Hong Kong, things like that. Isn't um, isn't Digimon quite big in Hong Kong? Is it, has it always been big alongside Pokemon? We were I was when I was there, the, the Pokemon uh, handheld, I, you know, phone thing was really big. The app game that was kind of front and center. But uh, there's just a wide range of Japanese toy culture that gets cross-pollinated over into Hong Kong, you know, and kids just eat it up, so. And therefore, the movies get, uh, whenever they do movies based on those properties, they get uh, a decent uh, amount of um, screens and stuff like that, because I I gather you've seen one or two of those, you know, Pokemon the movie 18 or Digimon the movie or whatever they're up to now. The the big challenge, if you are an anime, an overseas fan living in Hong Kong, is that not all titles get English subtitles. Um, So, for example, I remember watching the live-action Yamato film and just having to parse my way through it with my very limited Japanese and reading the Chinese subtitles because they decided for whatever reason not to put English subtitles on that particular film. But we, go, you know, for example, the two um, live-action Attack on Titans were both Chinese and English subtitled. Some of the anime films that get released will be, but some won't. For example, most of the things that get Cantonese dubs, your Doraemon films, your Pokemon films, um, those things, um, they're, if you're an English-speaking fan um, who can't read Chinese or can't speak Cantonese, you're kind of out of luck. You have to wait until an appropriate uh, video release comes along. Uh, but, but cool. Anyway, uh, throw out the little URL to the kind people so they know where to find your podcast. Yeah, we are at congcast.com. That's K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T dot com. The day a star fell. It was almost like... Like seeing something out of a dream. Nothing more or less than a breathtaking view. And welcome back in our review for this episode of Japan on Fire is Your Name from 2016 and plot from the all the anime website, which is which is the UK distributor for Your Name. Uh, Mitsuha and Taki are total strangers, living completely different lives. But when Mitsuha makes a wish to leave her mountain town for the bustling city of Tokyo, they become connected in a bizarre way. She dreams she's a boy living in Tokyo, while Taki dreams he's a girl from a rural town he's never visited. What does their newfound connection mean, and how will it bring them together? 
So we've hinted at it. Your name made waves in Japan and internationally when released last year, and that's sort of an understatement. Uh, uh, we, we'll, we'll talk on the success rate in a little bit, but it is based on the director's own novel. But this was not a novel that had an extensive shelf life for 15, 20 years or anything, and then the movie adaptation was uh, decided upon, but rather it was published a month before the film's release. Uh, director Makoto and therefore writer Shinkai is a multi-talented man uh, having skills in animation, writing, editing, illustration and turned a few heads with his uh, monochrome animation She and Her Cat in 1999. It won several awards. Uh, uh, this was then followed by a 25-minute OVA, which is original video animation, called Voices of a Distant Star. And this was all done and created while Shinkai did video clips for games and graphic design for the company Falcom. So he could juggle those things. But when embarking on a feature-length anime project called The Place Promised in our early days, he quit his job and uh, then uh, went on to focus on that feature solely. And he hence went on to achieve acclaim and awards for his sci-fi war drama film combo that used uh, also alternate timeline and universes as its um, uh, basis. Five centimeters per second uh, consisting of three segments uh, followed and uh, in uh, 2011 his longest anime to date, a movie I received on Blu-ray just the other day but I haven't seen it, the movie Children Who Chase Lost Voices was uh, released uh, to acclaim with the critics saying it was the culmination of what has been present in Makoto Shinkai cinema before and he's essentially moved forward in some eyes um, in some critics eyes to quite a perfect level with this movie and that had a story described by the director as a lively animated film with adventure action romance centered on a cheerful and spirited girl on a journey to say farewell and uh, furthermore, we, we move sort of past this feature, The Garden of Words, and on to Your Name, that has uh, blown up more than any other movie in his filmography. It was released by uh, Toho in 2016, last year, and critics have hailed the film for its animation and for being emotionally impactful. It has gone on to become the fourth highest grossing movie in Japan, fourth highest grossing non-English film worldwide, and... To be expected, this was also the highest grossing animated film of all time in Japan in that category. And it passed uh, such uh, legendary efforts uh, like uh, Hayao Miyazaki Spirited Away. So uh, that held uh, the crown for many years and that has now been passed by your name. And its impact uh, has said to have sparked the tourism in the areas that the movie takes place in and increasing the appeal of theatrical anime in the United Kingdom, for instance, by introducing a wide audience uh, to it. So that's a little snapshot of what your name did in Asia and internationally. I, I, I guess I gotta ask you because I know you like anime, you, you follow different eras. I'm sort of stuck in uh, an earlier era, uh, mostly. I still explore. 80s and 90s, mostly quite adult and violent stuff, but uh, I'm certainly a Ghibli fan, so I follow their recent works, but this is still very unusual for me to go into 2016 territory, so um, it it was an experience. But for you, are are you at all familiar with the director? Have you followed his uh, work and his reputation throughout the years? And uh, if you did, were were you surprised uh, that your name was a hit or you sort of sensed that he's going to blow up anytime. Well, I think if you look at his uh, early work, Voices of a Distant Star, it was pretty apparent he was going to be somebody in in the industry. Um, that's a short film. I think it's only yeah, like not even 20 minutes if uh, memory serves. But it was one that, ba- like you said, he kind of just went and did everything on his own, um, which is very unusual um, for it to look as good as it does and to be... Uh, as solid a piece of work as it is, um, and considering he was working on other things at the time. Uh, I have since gone back to see some other stuff. I mean, I've, that was the first piece of work that I, of his that I encountered. What, what, what was it specifically that just said, because it wasn't just technical, surely there was something else there from a storytelling standpoint, too. I think it was the fact that, you know, you for the era, this is again early 2000s, um, 2002 to be specific, for somebody to really put out that level of production pretty much on their own, the quality, uh, the color, even though it's a short film, uh, is, is pretty amazing. Um, and I think it spoke to his dedication. But also, 
but also it establishes his style very distinctly, and you see that style continuing forward through his other work. Um, I have gone back and seen um, his uh, series of four shorts in called She and Her Cat, and you, you can see some of that influence there, but I really think that it's with Voices of a Distant Star that the kind of elements that he utilizes in his later work, including in Your Name, um, really start to shine through. In in terms of his other work, I've seen uh, so She and Her Cat, Voices of a Distant Star, The Place Promised Early in Our Days, and Five Centimeters Per Second. And after Five Centimeters, I kind of, you know, fell away. I haven't seen his more recent stuff until Your Name, and I you know probably need to go and uh, catch up on it. Yeah, that uh, movie Children Chase Lost Voices is also known as something Journey to uh, Agatha or Agatha or something like that. It got more of a adventurous uh, retitle uh, elsewhere. So, in in case you're gonna look for it, people, you know, based on your name, I I mean, I can see that it's a director that thinks beyond just being technical, uh, like a technical wizard. There's uh, he wants to try out emotional content and. Uh, I, I don't know the other movies if they're fantasy in nature, but certainly your name is rooted in a reality despite its, you know, for lack of a better word, supernatural tint. Um, she and her cat is pretty much straightforward about a kind of a single girl and her cat, and it's told from the perspective of the cat. So there's that kind of interesting take. But and a lot of his work tends to be on centered around the idea of communication Right. So in She and Her Cat, it's kind of the cat communicating about how he sees this human who takes care of him and the problems that she faces. Voices of a Distant Star. It's kind of, you know, it feels very Gundamish, um, if that's if I can use that as an adjective. Um, it's basically about this girl who's in outer space fighting in a mech in this battle. And she's sending messages back to a friend on Earth. But because of the delay in the way the messages are received. It's like every message that gets sent back, it's just a few moments for her, but for the the guy, he's like getting older and older. Um, uh, okay. And so, uh, you like, know, again, like it's, that angle. Yeah, it's about this idea of communication, but some kind of, you know, barrier between the two communicating. Uh, place promised early in our days, too. Also a little bit of a sci-fi tint to it, a sort of an alternate an alternate universe or an alternate history because I think the Soviet Union's taken over part of Japan and then you have these characters starting off early in their youth and kind of being very idealistic and then this thing happens and it's something about like an alternate parallel universe and yeah so it gets a little bit sci- science fiction-y there as well. Yeah it's something I've, I've explored on this show this, uh, uh, this issue of um using alternate timelines as as your plot because we we did a show on uh, director Mamoru Oshii and he had this um series of movies and uh, multimedia excursions um dubbed the Kerberos saga and uh, it was made into movies uh, primarily if you look at movies like Jin Ro the Wolf Brigade it's about if uh, World War 2 ended in a different manner and if uh, Germany therefore had a big influence, and he builds his uh, universe um, that way, so so it's both serious and quite wacky. His um, his uh, expanding sort of Kerberos uh, saga. So it's it's an angle that I'm I'm I'm, I'm quite fond of if it feels uh, if it feels right. Uh, do do you know uh, offhand if uh, your name ever ever reached America or that was just a very small scale release? It did, but it was very small-scale release. I was looking to try and see it in the cinemas at the time, but it wasn't in any cinemas near me. But it did get released in some select theaters here. But uh, let's uh, move on to the movie then in terms of our short opinions. And uh, I I thankfully went into this um, without any conceived uh, in, in any preconceived notions but I had no idea what it was about I only know that your name your name big 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 and I sort of just kept out of the discussion I didn't even know what it was about so thankfully it's one of, was one of those movies that you had zero going in absolutely zero and that, that's a rarity and uh, what that zero ended up in in terms of a short opinion it's uh, quite accomplished uh, ranging from a technical presentation that looks very traditional i.e. hand-drawn 
to the fun notion of the parent body switching. Um, it's, so it's funny too. But that leads into a very accessible story of attempt, of attempting to change fates for the better or if you should. You know, uh, if it's about changing fates for the better for you or for the greater good, if you will. So it, it has a mixture of complexity and fun, but it's all accessible is one point so that's uh my short opinion uh, what do you want to say in short about your name the animation is gorgeous it, you know like the director is known for there's a top-notch attention to detail he spends a considerable amount of time and effort often on slow pans or still shots of scenery and this is something that you'll see again as a style that emerges in a lot of his early work I, I, I still am a bit mystified about the success of this, though, especially on the, the uh, international scale. Perhaps there's something to it that I'm that I'm missing. I mean, I, I kept wondering, well, was this something that was speaking to a certain generation in Japan? You know, so they were like maybe helping to really push the ticket sales up. But when you think about it in global terms, I mean, it's really good. Is is it Miyazaki level good? You know, he's often com- compared as like the new Miyazaki, which he himself says is a, is an oh, overestimation. You, you don't want to carry that on your shoulders. Like no, and, that. and and he 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 decries that when yeah, when, when sure. critics say that about him. But I don't know because story wise, while well, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous piece of animation, and I don't mean to decry it at all. Story wise, I kind of found it a little been there, done that. I mean. And the the theme, without spoiling it, I mean, you can find that theme in a very famous Korean movie starring Jun Ji Hoon, you know, which, uh, yeah, you know, the, will kind the, of the, give ma- the mailbox, as I used to call it. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was remade by into a very bad movie with Keanu. There's uh, the body swap thing. It's, you know, it's OK, but it's been done, too. I mean, uh, you can look to Freaky Friday movies. You can look to anime thing, you know, the the gender humor that they throw in there. Like you'll have seen that if you if you've been around anime, like with stuff like Ranma one half and and things like that. So I'm a bit mystified as to why the story is so popular. I mean, are people just loving it for the animation, for the beauty of it? Maybe, but it's sort of what I was thinking too, that it's maybe it was just one of those things that just kept on rolling and no one really knew why, because it baked into that uh, review note I gave you a very accessible story, because I, I think I need to clarify that it's not hugely new and emotionally impactful for me, but I think it it does the job quite well and then sort of leaves you i can't say this lingered necessarily but i think um he ties you know he ties it all together in a technical package and emotional package that works for the for the two hours uh, i think but there, there, there is something here i think i'm too not seeing that um that would stick with people and make people just run to the cinema over and over again so who knows so but uh, let's get into it i mean being a new viewer new viewer being that I wasn't aware of the plot there's a fragmented way of telling his stories here present where you ask yourself very very much questions here that people are waking up and they have strange feelings of the dreams of some reason the girl touches her boobs while she wakes up and she doesn't know that they're boobs or anything or why they're there so we get out of context hints here and that's all intentional of course uh, Makoto Shinkai is gonna get us there eventually and, and make us get the context but uh, uh, they're in a confused state and uh, while we do get a clear hint that there's a switch here there's clearly a switch here I, I did wonder to myself as well is this gonna be a big body swap uh, comedy and and you went Freaky Friday I, I went to like is this gonna be like big or vice versa Right. Mm. I was like, Judge Reinhold is back <laughs> in Japan or something. Uh, so that fragmented storytelling, I think, um, can be a brave choice. Because if, if you're going to confuse your audiences for 10, 15 minutes, then you better be a good confuser. 
or something, you know, to, to earn a confidence to move forward and fill in the gaps during the first half hour or, or whatever. So uh, did you see that as, as, as a problem or you felt like he, he's, he probably knows what he's doing by merely hinting at different things and then after a while we, we, we get the whole picture? No, I think he he makes two interesting choices um, with regard to that. The first is the actual opening in which you get this music montage, which is very much akin to an anime series opening where you see these characters kind of encountering each other and music's playing in the background and things, you know, high kind of what you would expect to be highlights of things to come. That's it's very much an anime series um, serialized kind of montage uh, that he puts out there, which is not something you typically see in a full length feature film. Um, so th- I think that was an interesting choice. And perhaps that plays back to the way that he's told stories. Um, so I think with uh, both the place promised earlier in our days and five centimeters per second, even though those are considered films, they're actually told in parts, right? They're, they're, there's like, you know, it's, they're more ap- episodic rather than full length um, things. Here he, what I think he does that's very well is, so we get the idea that this is body swap and body swap's been done before in many genres in many countries, you know, and it's not just unique to the US or or to Japan or anywhere else. You know, he he does some nice montages. I, I think it's around the 35 minute mark. You know, it knows the tropes for that. And it nicely sort of just quick does some quick montages of the characters kind of dealing with that and moving past it to get more into the main story he wants to tell. Yeah, it never really stops to um, have exposition dumps like hitting the pause button on the movie and then telling us what's going on and then resuming. It all seems like part of the natural flow by dropping hands, being a little bit fragmented, and then by putting fragments into place, we we get an idea of... Uh, of uh, and the characters do as well, because the characters are obviously confused in the beginning. And then, huh? I think I... Oh, 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 did... Oh, 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 he's living my life, <laughs> you know, and I'm living his, and then they're, they're, they're off and running. I do think that the um, the boobs thing is a bit overdone. Yeah, it's about three or four times. Isn't you know, it? They, yeah, it, and the, the thing too that I think is a little bit—I don't know—I don't want to say politically incorrect or anything like that, but it's like, why is it just the fetish on the girl side, right? Um, there's there's not equal time given to her fascination with the fact that she's kind of got a, you know, a, a dongle now between her legs, right? Yeah, I think the only thing that he observes is that, yes, there is one and that she needs to go to go to the toilet in a certain manner now. And yeah. that's that's about it. It, it. it was a little bit creepy to me, uh, not because they're, um, well, they're in school, so I guess maybe underage, but whatever. Uh, the, the creepy thing was to me that if you know you were body swapping uh, or touching someone else, that would be essentially a crime. <laughs> you know, you would be molesting someone, you know. So it was just me thinking like that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Just play straight. It's interesting on that that aspect, you know, the sort of underage aspect. And uh, perhaps there are listeners out there or one of your co-hosts who have a better insight into live action old Japan cinema. Because when I was doing up the notes for this, there is a Japanese movie that is a body swap movie where a guy, a high school student, gets swapped into the body of a girl, high school student. I don't know the name of this movie because I saw it on a compilation of, you know, one of those compilations of like crazy Asian cinema kind of thing way back, I think it was back in the 90s. And basically all they showed from this movie was the guy who swapped into the girl, so it's a female actress now, and she's basically rips open her school uniform top. I think she's standing next to a locker, if memory serves. And she basically does the same thing that we see here, the the, the sort of boob grab, except you see actual boobs in this, right? So if anybody has a memory of that, maybe you can, you know, leave leave a comment. But that really came to mind. Again, you know, not it's not a new gimmick it's not a new gag here it's 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 been done uh, even in japanese cinema speaking of um tradition i 
wanted to ask what you think because I I'm not sure about this thing. The movie looks traditional traditional in style in terms of animation. It looks like it's uh, hand drawn and the only thing that gives away that they're using computers a little bit more is the fact that they use sort of expansive camera moves every now and again. And and I don't know how current anime works if they're if they're going more CG mixed with a little bit more traditional. I remember the sky crawlers, which is a while back now, seem to use traditional cell animation, but also for the uh, for the aerial battle scenes, it was clearly three D, three uh, D animation and computers. But do you know if they if modern movies are being traditionally animated or they're using computers to give off the um, the impression that it is traditional cell animation because if they are it looks great and I have a feeling despite after all is said and done uh, that your name it just looks too good to be manufactured it looks um, it looks like the uh, at least backgrounds anyway are painted um, and, and it's all done in a realistic world too so clearly it gives off a vibe of that because it's not sci-fi or anything or has monsters or anything that I I sort of honed in on the fact that I think this is painted. But do you have any take on that if they're using computers to actually recreate what Miyazaki did, for instance, back in the day? Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, it's it's like when you watch a um a mo- sort of a modern Hollywood action film. You know, if you watch a big Marvel spectacle or a Star Wars or something, you know you're getting a lot of CGI. But with smaller films where, like, say there's a car chase or, you know, there's something, you know, where they're they're just using computer graphics to put in extra buildings or put in more traffic or something that's very mundane. And we, as an audience, don't realize it's there because it seems so very mundane. So you think you're just watching a standard cinematography shot. And I think the same probably can be said here um, because this film doesn't focus on, you know, big monsters, big spaceships, that kind of stuff that we would expect to see done with um, some CGI enhancement. It's very hard to tell what actually is being done with, you know, hand drawing, hand painting versus computer assistance. Because to me, if I remember watching, you know, the, the, the restored Blu-ray editions of Miyazaki films from 88, 89, 90, and some of the stuff in those versus some of the stuff in here that's just the regular urban stuff. They don't look too far apart, to be honest. I just have a feeling there's there's a traditional sense here, but maybe not fully. Like They're not sitting and drawing each and every uh, cell or anything. But um, if I can't, or if you can't say either or, then I guess a job well done that they, uh, they, don't, they, they immerse us into all of this and we don't we can't quite figure out technically what they're, what they're up to here i mean the only piece of cg i remember is obviously the whole issue with the comets but uh, that's about it yeah yeah uh, but it does look gorgeous and uh, uh, i mean especially the rural town that she lives in uh, it's just uh, it's just absolutely gorgeous and uh, her story, of course, uh, you know, while we're getting into the mystery and uh, honing in on it and uh, getting clues dropped, uh, which are, again, they're not stalling the plot. We, we get this uh, backstory set in this gorgeous but perceived dead-end town. I mean, she, she's a young girl that doesn't seem to want to live a normal life. One character says, I think one of her male friends says that, uh, well... I want to graduate and lead a normal life. And she is the one that sees Tokyo as the land of opportunities. And she expresses that wish, as the plot said, that uh, I want to escape this uh, dead-end town, so to say. And she got her wish. She's now urban. So without knowing the final tally of the movie, I was sort of making my notes that way, that uh, maybe that's the lesson, you know, that you should uh, honor your surroundings and they're not as bad as you think because you're young but you know if that is in there great but there is not a firm full focus on the movie the movie is more about uh, avoiding um, avoiding certain fates um, and we we don't want to spoil that of course but uh, i think he, he, he gets us into that while also displaying the the gorgeous nature of the town which i'm sure did indeed uh, enhance uh, sort of um, 
you know, people wanted to go to this place, whether it was a firm real place or not, or they just sought out uh, mountain towns in Japan. But uh, who could blame them? Because this looks absolutely um, one, uh, like a wonderful place uh, to live in, in my opinion. So um, uh, that was a joy for me to uh, to absorb those um, uh, those surroundings, while also confirming to myself that he's he's on track. He's uh, focused on his story uh, as well as uh, displaying all of this. Um, any notes on that uh, yourself? Uh, you know, surroundings versus uh, how he continues to develop the story. I mean, one doesn't take uh, overtake the other, right? No, I think you know he gives us some interesting characterizations in the, especially with the supporting characters and the relationships. But none of that really take is takes too much focus. Um, and again, a lot of attention to detail on. The setting, the surroundings, um, the the colors, um, just a massive amount of the attention to detail that could probably very easily be missed by people really just looking for, you know, the story itself. So it's like, you know, get on with it, get on with it kind of a thing. Mm. Because he tends to take his time with his storytelling. Uh, and again, this is a, a trait that I think you can see in most of his works, at least the ones I've seen. You know, it's almost as much about showing the environment and how it fits in with what's being told. In some ways, kind of like a, a Chinese painting in that, you know, it's the it's more about the setting rather than the small figures therein. Right. So I think it's, you know, it's it's a very notable sort of signature of his work. Mm. And that may not appeal to some people, you know, that the, you know, some people want to see you know, uh, giant monsters uh, eating small people. And, and that's fine. You know, his his work probably may not appeal to um, every anime fan out there. And, and I get that. I thought about that myself uh, because he's telling a realistic story. Yes, it has the changing and the issue of the comment, as I said, but uh, for all intents and purposes, none of this is fantasy. Uh, you know, there's no, uh, there's no monsters, as we said. And, and I thought about that, how much I like that in any era and that tracks back to Miyazaki of course and one of my favorite uh, Studio Ghibli movies is My Neighbor Totoro which is while it has Totoro it's still pure realism and almost a snapshot of wonderful daily life in wonderful green lush nature that happens to have a forest spirit but not a mean forest spirit and that straightforwardness a snapshot of real life in animation, which takes therefore a lot to convey, because you gotta animate it, you gotta paint that. I, I do really, really like that. So there's a little extension. I think if you're gonna compare to Ghibli and Miyazaki, I think you can compare it that way. That he is good at providing these gorgeous-looking snapshots of uh, common reality that uh, can be infused with something special. Uh, something somewhat supernatural and out of this world but but not betraying the reality we're not jumping to another dimension or anything but uh, so i think he can wear that a little bit proudly that uh, he's doing something ever so slightly in the tradition of miyazaki but not being the new miyazaki or anything because uh, again you, you you don't want that burden you want to be your own unique voice of course there's some comedic touches here um being a body swap movie, uh, when uh, Taki is in, uh, you know, he switched, he is, uh, if I'm not remembering incorrectly, I mean, he's trying to speak as a female, but he isn't, uh, or rather, it's when she is in his body, and she speaks in a more female way, she's using terms, or maybe slang or something, the the, the subtitles do a good job of conveying this, but I, I like those little reactions from Taki's friends, the, she says something, and they go, huh? They're immediately aware of he's never spoken like this. What's going on here? It's that it's that issue of trying to adjust to uh, uh, to be a boy and a girl and uh, trying to avoid that uh, avoid that uh, chaos. And uh, he escalates that chaos uh, quite gently, you know, as neither of them has any idea how to do the boy's life and the girl's life. And um, and 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 then when they understand how they're going to communicate across social media that groove is achieved and i think only the latter half is a little bit complex but not too complex but for the most part paul 
as much as he escalates and as much as he develops and as much as parallel timelines and body swapping that we have going on here, it's still quite coherent. He's not overwhelming us with details. There's clarity here and he gets that clarity across in in my opinion. Or, or what do you think? Yeah, I I think it works for the most part. Um it, there there's a logic to the rules that he establishes here and he kind of sticks to that logic throughout. I mean, that's one of the problems that when you try and tell a story like this be a body swap or, or or some other kind of like parallel narratives that are happening and dreams in dreams and stuff yeah, like that that at at some point you usually think oh well what about this you know what what, what you know what about this sort of technical thing technical contingency and he does address that so he's very smart um in in dealing with all of that and that plays out well i do think though that once they get beyond that they get into what I would say is sort of the the sort of last act of it. Um, that's where it really starts to not work so much for me because you really get into very much tried and true territory of, you know, uh, characters searching for each other and kind of not finding each other, which you've seen in so many romantic, you know, movies and animes and, and other things over the years that it almost feels... I'm not. I, what would be the word? It it just it just feels like a, a big downer by comparison to the to the other stuff. Um, I mean, it's all about the execution, of course. And I I think even though you're, if you were familiar with tropes, if something thing would be executed at a high level, you wouldn't feel like anything is old hats. So I think uh, you're hinting at that he's not clinching it necessarily. He's doing a good job, but not clinching. I was just expecting it to go somewhere a bit fresher i guess mm. is 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 you know because up to that point it's like all right this has all been uh very well executed it's you know relied on some tra- traditional elements but it's still a fairly original story that's being told but then it sort of gets to that last that last thing that you know these two characters have to overcome I'm like ah couldn't couldn't they Gone, couldn't he have gone in a slightly different direction so that it's just not so very been there done that for, for me it was more about he he wasn't achieving 100% emotional impact he was engaging as a story and as it settles into being even uh, because, because there's an emotional and mood switch at one point uh, they don't know why they wake up crying right so and, and that's not a spoiler so and after a while, and after that point, it's the movie settling settles into being a more of a detective story and uh, uh, embracing a more calm, serious, and even somber mood. Uh, but but I was curious enough of that goal too, if you know, because there, there's that cos cos like cosmical uh, events here, and if that intervention that one of the characters is trying. Is even possible, or even uh, something you should do, because it was all like Back to the Future came to my mind here, like a space-time continuum and all of that. On the surface and within it, all acceptable and engaging as as storytelling and story progression. But it, it again, in terms of emotional impact, following these characters, that is the point for me that it doesn't get to firmly. It's engaging enough, and it's all fine. But but he really wants us to buy into one hundred percent these uh, characters' uh, journey, you know, separate and together, and the issue of the braided cord and what that means for time and all of that. And I, you know, I tilt my head and I look at it, and in an interesting way, I feel the coherency is there. The coherency doesn't go off the rails necessarily, and the somber mood, I don't mind if we switch from funny to somber. But I, I'd be lying to say if I was. Um, blown away by the build-up and the crescendo to it all i i wasn't but i was more thinking that maybe a different audience maybe a younger audience would appreciate this more but it's still fairly like it's not catering to teenagers or children necessarily it's it's talking of somewhat complex things so for me i i think when when all is said and done you you come around to the fact that it didn't quite reach my heart but it's all very competent and he doesn't uh, 
he doesn't uh, go off the rails uh, coherency wise or anything like that um, and, and and you come back to that question too that I'm, I'm so fascinated how this blew up because there is something there that i think goes beyond commercialism like i don't think audiences went there just to see a good looking anime over and over again there was something there i think that spoke to audiences in a rumor that spread through audiences and not just in asia so so who knows but uh it gets to a very very solid level but it doesn't go beyond that is my is my point uh, uh that switch to somber and what have you was that um a natural switch from the first half of somewhat fun body swapping stuff yeah i i think it you know it all fits within the narrative he's trying to tell um it doesn't feel out of place it's uh yeah and again you as you alluded to other films that kind of deal with that kind of scenario i i think he deals with it in a, a fairly interesting manner uh the idea too that some story beats are not present and don't get returned to is also an interesting choice there's for example a very important story beat where i think um you know the 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 girl who is now in her body back in her body again has to confront her father who is the mayor of this town you know in a traditional anime we would see in a later scene that confrontation played out right because it, it goes to that confrontation with her in a very sort of stern face and then it cuts to something else right and then traditionally later on you would go and replay that you know to, to to fill in the blanks and he chooses not to which i think is a is a great choice because it it leaves a bit of mystery as to what exactly happened in that encounter that led to you know because because that's sort of a pinnacle moment right it leads to a significant change yeah you're right i actually didn't think about that that he uh, he filled us in in a different manner he simply chose to ignore one traditional step so we just knew a few moments later the result of that conversation without hearing the conversation, which was actually quite good and quite brave to, uh, uh, again, like he did in the beginning, like being fragmented. He, he, he just simply went from one to three instead of one to three. Which is good. I mean, he's a veteran to some degree still, um, uh, or by now. So, so I guess that's the filmmaker kicking in that, yeah, I totally got this. It is mightily dangerous by the by the latter half of the movie that by using different timelines and uh, and fates and all of that, that that can get so muddled in the wrong director's hands. But I think he he, he gets there in, and it 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 isn't simplified either necessarily. Uh, and and I'm sure attentive viewers can dissect this movie and uh, say what makes sense and what doesn't make sense but I'm not an attentive viewer, I'm pretty stupid so I, you know, time travel movies I can't dissect in terms of that doesn't make sense, that doesn't make sense, why didn't he blah 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 uh, so that is uh, something I like I couldn't spot any obvious flaw in his plan <laughs> necessarily so um, the, the characters do spell out the theme of the movie and so, some emotions and exactly what's going on at points but it isn't too clunky though it isn't it is exposition dump that is unnatural uh, and uh, in a way also uh, it's all very romantic and i'm not necessarily talking uh, romantic love or anything but it's all very done in a very romantic way and uh, supposed to be arousing on that level the, the the way they work towards the goals of the end and what they want to attempt to change and it's it's like it's romanticized and therefore it doesn't quite reach the hugely poignant level it's more adventure style romanticized and he wants to get to the goal he wants to get to and uh, i don't know if that was the reason it didn't reach like high levels for me but um, there, there, there is a sense of this being an adventure romanticized and sort of simplified to uh, to achieve coherency and that was his game plan and that reached a lot more people than it might have reached you know you and i but still it, it's not overly simplified though it's not stupidly simplified or anything because uh, that would be evident if you um, if you sort of uh, copped out and just um, uh, made something super basic but uh, i think that's the end of my notes because we're, we're obviously keep keeping it vague and won't spoil most of the latter half of the movie again in the plot there was no issue of the comet and i haven't even told you the context of the comet at all but um it's a uh, it plays a crucial part let's just say and uh, 
it's the only CG that I noticed in the movie, but uh, it's, um, it's, a, it's a character. It's an important character. So I, I think I'll conclude my notes there with uh, saying that uh, for new viewers of anime, sure, go into it. Uh, veteran viewers, sure, go into it. Give new anime a, a chance because it looks... It doesn't look necessarily 2016 through and through. It looks um, curiously like it could have been made in... Partly made in 1989 or 1990. But obviously it has modern tools uh, as well. And um, it's the, is it a good start in terms of his filmography? It's probably the most uh, readily available start. but And it certainly has uh, interested me and sparked my interest in the past work. And the past work might be better. Who knows? So, uh, But uh, it's uh, we, we're just simply going to have to keep scratching our heads a little bit. Like, why did it blow up so much? Because this is amazing. And the level it blew up... Uh, too and i i get it that of course and i'm sure shinkai has a lot more to offer after this i don't think he's gonna drop the mic and uh, and uh, exit or anything i think he has a lot more to offer so uh, it, it's it's a recommendation even though i didn't uh, think the hype matched the movie quality necessarily but uh, it's a, it's all solid and uh, very good in, in some areas so I'll, I'll leave it to you and uh, whatever else you want to share, regardless if it's from beginning, middle, or somewhat end of the movie. No, I, again, it's a great animation. Many who are familiar with Asian cinema or Japanese anime or Japanese dramas um, may look at this and see some of the elements is not very new or inventive, but it's still very, very entertaining. And it's again, it's been a massive award winner, and because of sort of the steamroller effect that happened you know it's one to see if you're looking to sort of keep up with japanese popular culture it's one that's going to be talked about uh we were discussing offline elsewhere that uh you know as a director um he's considered one of the most influential and voices of a distant star was nominated by uh, i forget uh, japanese fortune magazine or something as like one of the most influential anime of the new millennium and I think in part it's because it sets sort of the tone and style for um, the later films to, of his to come. You can, if you're looking to catch his early stuff, a lot of it is available on Crunchyroll and uh, or what what is their their sister app now, VRV or something like that. So you can find, I think, she and her cat are there. Um, Place promised early in our days are there. Um, the later stuff, as far as I know, is not streaming yet. It's um, just like... Uh, dvd availability um so you can check that out um and i guess the other bit of news to mention before we sort of wrap this up is that because of the success of all of this of course hollywood has to get their say in and uh, producer director jj abrams is slated to be working on an american remake to be released by paramount pictures and bad robot productions so they saw money and wanted their share of it i guess uh and as I usually say, not everything needs to be picked up, and not even everything needs to be remade just because you you spot it at the film market, film market, and on the market. I mean, unless they're unless they're going to do an actual shot for shot Japanese remake, right? Which I don't think Hollywood would do. I don't, I, you know, just just the state of the political mess, you know, with with regard to casting and stuff that's going on over here. I just don't think they would do that. I mean, I just can't imagine, like, when you talk about her her role as, like, this, you know, she's like a priestess at a temple, and she has to perform this, you know, this very sort of traditional cultural ceremonial role for the town, that kind of stuff. How do you, how would you even go about to replace that? It's so culturally and, and locally specific to the story yeah. that why would you even want to take that on? I don't know, just because it's a big moneymaker. It, it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, well, they they can transfer things, but then often effect loses, uh, gets lost in that uh, translation. Because I'm sure that answer isn't difficult, but it might not be a good answer. Like the the idea yeah. of like, how do we transfer it? Uh, well, it's like it's like the departed, right? You know, the the transfer of uh, the Hong Kong hit Infernal Affairs over to become irish mobsters and which is know. not a bad idea not a bad idea at all you 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 make it unique but uh, for me it was still redundant to watch the, the departed after infernal affairs because i've seen that movie you know it wasn't there uh, fresh enough you know 
which is another discussion for another time. But uh, uh, because you you knew the spoilers, which was sort of like, yep, yeah, yeah, there it goes, there it goes, boom, yep, saw that, remember that. Uh, anyway, as for availability of uh, your name, it's uh, going to be out there globally wherever you are in the world, and um, I'm sure it's already out on disc uh, in uh, multiple places in the world. But focusing on the UK, on November 6th, it received a Blu ray steelbook, regular Blu ray, and DVD edition from Anime Limited. And later this month, November 23rd, sees the release of an, an exclusive deluxe edition containing um, collector's packaging, art cards, a 132-page uh, book with concept art, interviews, and the CD soundtrack with the score from Radwimp. So I, I guess they did maybe some some of the score, not just the songs. Uh, uh, that will also be included. And uh, I want to thank Fetch Publicity for setting us up with the screener of the film, Your Name. So yes, we're we're corporate prostitutes, but um, but hey, it's it's something I rarely done throughout the years, Paul. If I'm being honest, like request screeners, give me free stuff. No, it's just yeah, why not? Let, let's uh, show ourselves a little bit more, like <laughs> yeah, rather than work from within our own uh, bubble. And uh, certain movies for the UK market are applicable to our coverage, you know. Because it's not like this weekend's lease can request any screeners, <laughs> right? <laughs> Do you have any Charlie Show movies? No. And it's a good thing too, because without a release like this, then the likelihood is is that as a fan, if you want to get a hold of this, you got to go direct to the source, which is Japan, which means you may or may not get an English subtitled copy, and it's going to cost you an entire house mortgage just to buy it. Yeah, their prices for even regular D- uh, DVD or Blu-ray editions are still up there. It's standardized. You, you can pay 40, 50, 60 US dollars for something that's regular. Not a special edition, but a regular thing. Um, so they're, they're keeping prices up. And uh, quality is usually good, but um, you got to pick and choose, I guess. You can't buy randomly. And then to import it is another matter, because who knows if customs uh, catch that thing too. So it's a good thing that we have uh, have it out there in the UK, and I'm sure a US release is uh, going to follow in some shape or form, even if not on a big label or anything. I mean, uh, Children Who Chase Lost Voices, that was from, well, it said, the banner says something Sentai selects, but if that's the company or if that's just the banner it's being released under, then I don't know, but it, it's a... It's a, it's a um, it's a four-disc edition, you know, two Blu-rays, two DVDs, and extras and commentary, and for a reasonable price. So if you wait for releases in the West, then uh, you can get um, you can get the same editions only with uh, English subtitled extras and all of that for a more reasonable price. So, uh, point is, your name is going to be out there. It's coming out in the UK, and uh, that's uh, that's it. So. Um, let us uh, know if you saw uh, your name and uh, you can do that over at our uh, website podcastonfire.com our email podcastonfire at googlemail.com and uh, aside from Japan on Fire we have plenty of other shows uh, covering Hong Kong cinema, Korean cinema, Sleazy cinema, Ninja cinema we do audio commentaries every now and again and uh, so all of that is available on our site in short and subscribe to us uh, on the usual places iTunes and stream us on Stitcher Radio so contact information is short for now but uh, Paul was kind enough to uh, assist me on this episode and venture into this uh, 2016 anime to find out what the fuss was about and uh, thank you for that Paul and uh, you get a fun plug as well of your show covering uh, both Hong Kong Chinese and sometimes Japanese cinema Yes, it is uh, East Screen, West Screen, and you can find us over at Concast.com. And uh, thanks to you, sir, for bringing me on, because, I mean, if there's anything I love talking about almost as much as Hong Kong cinema, it's uh, Japanese anime. Excellent. Uh, so let's uh, let's go into our hentai special right now. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite there yet. Legend of the Overfiend, Paul. Like, give, give, us your, give us your view on, uh, on the hardcore pornography. Go. Uh, uh, no comment. <laughs> yep, exactly. That, uh, that was the right answer. That's the answer of a father. And uh, while I'm here uh, uh, buying such stuff on both VHS, DVD, Blu-ray, and Laserdisc, I don't care. You gotta have hentai on the big discs as well, right? <laughs> anyway, we are done for this episode of Japan on Fire. Thank you very, very much, Paul. And uh, I've been uh, Kennedy, and with me was Paul Fox from. The East Screen, West Screen podcast talking Japanese cinema. So sign us out, buddy. Bye bye. <laughs>
Never end.